Welcome to the road to growth, success of an entrepreneur. We've raised the bar. Learn firsthand from successful business owners and create your own path to success. I'm going to show you how great I am. It's time to hit the road to growth with team lead of the Enriquez Group, Realtor Vinny. Hi, all you road to growth listeners. Uh, I am lucky today to have Terry Rich. It, it seems like every chapter of a life is a different story. I mean, maybe that's why he's so good at writing books and uh, putting things out there. But just kind of talking to him briefly before we got on, on mic right here. Um, yeah, really got to enjoy Spark Notes. We're talking about lottery fraud. Fraud. We're talking about running a zoo. We're talking about being a CEO, uh, getting in contact with Johnny Carson. I mean, the list goes on and on. And I can only imagine if I can be lucky enough to get some of those enjoyments uh, later in life for myself. But thank you, Terry, for being on this podcast. Uh, you're welcome. It is a pleasure being here. And I always love and I get to learn a little bit, too, in, in these discussions. Oh, fair enough. Well, <clears throat> give us I mean, give us a spark notes of who you are. And I, I know sure. I mean, if you if you haven't heard already, he has a tantalizing voice. Right. He's been radio. He's public relations. rock and roll radio. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 73 degrees and cloudy or avoid very, but didn't remember FDIC. Um, uh, so give, give, give a spark notes of who you are. And then we're going to get to kind of where you came from. All right, give me 43 seconds. Here we go. Started off on the farm, grew up actually pretty poor, came out of Iowa State University and decided I want to be in television and radio. I could talk and make a living. And when I did that, I went into cable television when cable wasn't cool rather than broadcast. Uh, it went really, really well. So well, in fact, that over the years, uh, they were paying me in stock options rather than that. And it was like an apple. It just all of a sudden took off. And at age 40, they uh, sold the company. And lo and behold, I've had every goal I thought. You know, my dad said, you know, when you're 60, you get your retirement, you get your Social Security, you're going to be happy. Well, I realized at age 40, I had everything I was hoping to get by the time I was 60. And I realized happiness happens on the way to success. So it isn't just the goal. It's the fun you have in, in making the money. And once you make the money, uh, how to how to keep that going and get that that stuff inside to get it going. So Anyway, I started my own companies then. I had four or five different companies I started. We can talk a little about those. Each one of them went a different way, but I put them all together and it was really fun. But at age 50, midlife crisis, I thought, geez, you know, I'm all, I got to get off the road. I want to see my family. And so I got the call from a governor who said, they're going to shut down the zoo. Would you like to run a zoo? Well, hell, I grew up on a farm. I should be able to run a zoo, right? I raised cattle. Giraffes can't be that much different. And so in four years, we took a $600,000 deficit uh, uh, adversity is what it was all about, zoo, and uh, turned it into into the black cash flowed it and brought about twelve million dollars in uh, endowment. So now it's around forever as the second largest cultural attraction in the state. So then I got a call from the governor. I was going to retire again. He said uh, the different governor and said, "Hey, the the lottery guy resigned, and this is marketing and sales. Would you like to run it?" And that kind of fell in lap, and that's what I did. And as we did that, we we uh, two years into it something didn't feel right. We cracked the largest lottery fraud in U.S. history. And so after we got that guy in prison for up to 25 years, we uh, I decided to retire. And now I'm out public speaking across the world and traveling when I want to. And it's kind of a great way to be around my family when I want to and be able to see the world when I want to. So that's a snippet. <laughs> now, so there's a lot of things to take away from that. One thing, jumping back to one of the beginning statements you said, right? Where it was about learning. It's about the journey and not about getting there. Was that something you learned earlier on or was it when you hit 40 and you found out that you had the, the ability to retire? 
I think it was when I had the ability to retire because the company, the cable television was so fun. You know, we're working with Ted Turner's helping start MTV, HBO, all of those sort of things. That was such an invigorating entrepreneurial place to work that all of a sudden it was over. And what do I do now? Because once you've had success, you really have that sense to go on. And once you've had success, your risk factor goes down because uh, I always tried to set aside. And as I started the companies, anytime I would make money, I'd try to set aside maybe just 10% where, you know, in the early days when you're young, you risk the whole bankroll, right? To, to make something, you got to make it work. Well, now it's a luxury of taking maybe 10% and using that to continue research and development and working on new ideas that I had which then let it build, 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 build. Success begets success, right? And uh, so that's probably the time at, at uh, age 40 when that first company cashed out. When you were part of that first company, did you know it was going to be what it was um, when they cashed out? Or when you first joined them, was it like, I know this is going to be a good a good uh, opportunity for me? Or what were you thinking when you first joined up? I think that it it definitely was exciting because it kept growing and they and because it was growing so fast, there were more and more opportunities and the people on the inside got the promotion up because they knew, you know, I, I learned early on, you always raise your hand. Somebody says, somebody needs to clean the toilet. I, I'll be there or somebody needs to do this and everybody else says no because you're noticed. And in a company that's growing that fast, when you're noticed that way, you continue the promotions. What I didn't realize was that the heads of the company were out financing this deal and leveraging up as fast as they could, that we probably could have had a couple of times where it could have completely gone under, where I had my uh, salary in that company, I had my retirement in that company, I had my stock options in that company, and everything would have went down. If, of course, it went down. Instead, it went up. So a little bit of luck kind of plays into these things, too. So what did you take away from that first company's success when you started becoming um, CEO of other companies? A couple of leadership things I saw is you, you find the people, you don't have to know everything. Uh, I once heard the story about Henry Ford, who, who they said how stupid he was, but he said, I can pay anybody a nickel to go to the library and find out that answer. My job is to think new ideas. So we had leadership that were, the, they were there to, to push the envelope, to think the new ideas. And then they hired the right people in each division that were really smart in finance, uh, company, the, the co-owners, co one of them really was smart in the finance. The other one was really smart in human resources and took care of the people, always let people uh, take part of the profits. And that really was fun because we knew the better we did, the more we made. It wasn't like we, sometimes you see employees, managers like to put them like a dog sled. You put them in a harness and, you know, you tell them whip, go, go, you know, we need more money versus we're all in this thing together and let's make it work. We got the financials every month, detailed financials. So we knew when we were doing well and when we weren't. And so we all had an impact in making that company more successful. It was all said and done. So uh, that's some of the, those are some of the leadership qualities that took me into when I started companies of trying to share wealth uh, in success uh, and let people know how we're doing so that they understand if we have to lay some people off. Why we did? Because we didn't do that well this last year and we're in trouble. But we have a solid foundation. We can make it work. When when you were a company at four years old and they sold off, what was the highest position you were at? Were you manager, CEO? What were you at? I was the uh, vice president of sales and marketing, which then allowed me to be in a level that everybody as the company split off, we started taking the money that we just did and we started investing in others. But I got to invest in companies 
that the CEO knew were going to be good. They took some of the companies that we had in this New York Stock Exchange company, spun them off and did leverage buyouts in those companies. So those made money. Now I put just a little bit into what they put in, but those still really helped when it was all said and done. It sounds like too that relationships are key, right? Understanding who the smart people are and and following them on the journey. And uh, knowing that I, you know, leadership is a, is a crazy thing. So you can hire the absolute best people. And then for some reason they go through a divorce, they hit alcoholism, they get to gambling and they don't do as well. Trying to find, and uh, when people stumble, people fail, try to find ways to help them out, uh, but also reward failure for them trying new ideas that might enhance and grow your company. How do you assess that? So if you see someone that's failed, right, but you think it was a good way to fail because they were trying to make your company better, how do you assess that? I assess it by remorsefulness rather than fl flipping the blame. Hey, you know, this is where I thought it would be. What to, and, and usually they can identify it early and then come in and say, hey, you, you know, this isn't working. Can you help me with some ideas? How, what kind of resources can we put? Because I know this is a good idea, but this just didn't work in this situation. Those are the things you listen for rather than that wasn't my fault. That was Joe's fault over there or Sally's fault over there for doing this. And it's uh, it's it's not mine. So you look you look for ways that people are really genuinely interested in making the company successful. And I told my kids and I tell anybody that's applying for a job, make sure you when you go in for the interview to say not to say, you know, how much am I getting paid? All things you're not supposed to say in an interview, but to say, you know, how, tell me about why you enjoy the job one and two. How can I help make the company more successful? What are you looking for in me to make the company successful? Because if I'm coming to work here, I want to contribute. Makes sense. Now, when you're talking about basically uh, the CEO and you're growing these companies, helping these companies grow and transitioning from, I guess, being an owner of a company to now, I guess, being an owner underneath like a governor, being an owner of like underneath like someone looking over you. How was that transition? Is it basically the same thing? Is it really? I, I found I, I learned a quick lesson from going from a big New York Stock Exchange company with lots of, you know, bosses and levels and all that sort of thing, taking my own money and going out. I started uh, and we'll tell the Carson show here how we how we failed but succeeded with getting on the Carson show. But he talked about actually doing a live show from my hometown via satellite and no one had ever done a satellite uplink from our whole little state in Iowa. So I took that idea within this New York Stock Exchange company, started doing HBO free previews so that everybody across the nation could watch HBO movies. And then we'd come on and say, now's the time to call 1-800-CABLE-TV and, and get cable now and became really successful within our company. Well, that seemed like a logical transition. And we had a lot of friends within the industry to do that for other cable companies when I decided to start my own company. So that was the main business that we did. But the first thing I thought about was, well, I'm selling HBO. What else could I do? And I thought about, well, the NAIA College World Series was coming to this town and the NCAA was being played on ESPN. That had to be a good investment. So I went ahead, bought the truck, bought the, all of the equipment, set up the everybody to do the NAIA College World Series on Fox Sports World, got it on the air, but I didn't sell a single ad. I didn't have somebody good enough to sell any advertisement. I lost $25,000 as it rained three days in a row. The lesson I learned in that is when you have a boss or if you're starting a new entrepreneurial company to have an advisory board of experts or a actual board of directors, I know my boss would have said, you know what? You better think about selling this thing 
before you commit to spending all the money with it. So you've got the cash flow to do it. Luckily, I'd made enough in all my other ventures with the HBO free previews that it was more of my little R&D and experiment that I learned by that experience to really think through of all the costs that there are when, you, when you're trying to do something brand new and making sure you have the cash flow to last. I heard the other day someone that was on a board of directors of new companies, new entrepreneurs that really hit me. That person said, I never look at the balance sheet. I look at the cash flow. And that's a good lesson for new companies. You know, you can have an impressive balance sheet one way or the other, but you got to have the cash to survive when, you, when you're in any business. How did you turn that lemon into lemonade getting on the, the Carson show? Um, here's the, here's how we lost. I it started out that uh, I sent out a, I had a call from my little hometown of 50 people. Remember that farm community I grew up in? The guy said, yeah. we're having a centennial. We don't know whether we're a hundred years, but screw it. We're having a centennial. We're having a big celebration and we need some publicity. So I went over and met with him and we talked about what could we do to get publicity? And we said, well, we could, we don't have much to give away, but he said, well, you're our most famous person because I've done some TV. And I said, well, if I'm the most famous person, we better adopt someone. So I sat down and wrote a press release and sent out 44 letters. And I, the printer actually printed too many. So I had 44. So I sent out 44 letters to the local media, but then I sent it to New York Times and anybody I could find in the library in the adjoining town to send it. 43 of the 44 letters failed. 43 of the 44 letters failed, but the one that didn't was I got a call the next day from someone called United Press International, Bruce Canner. He said, hey, we like the story. We're going to put it on the national wires. And I laughed. What the heck is United Press International? I was just a farm kid. I had no idea what UPI was. Lo and behold, the next morning or the, uh, within a half hour after the time he called, almost the second I get a call and said, hello, this is Terry Rich. Yeah, this is Jim McCauley. I'm the talent coordinator for The Tonight Show. As you know, Johnny was born in Iowa. And we like this, but we want to have a meeting here. We're having a staff meeting and you're going to get calls from all the other uh, reality shows. We have to be first. Will you guarantee us that we can be first on this story? Hell yes. <laughs> what do you say? You know? Okay. So I hung up the phone, picked it up. And in those days you had this thing called dial tone on your phone, but I couldn't get a dial tone. I hear Terry, Terry, this is Terry Rich. This is Judy Steinberg with Good Morning America. I have two tickets. I need you in New York tomorrow morning said, I'm sorry, we committed to the Tonight Show. Well, remember, 43 of the 44 letters failed. If I'd only sent out one, this would all of this stuff would have never happened. We had, uh, they, they came out, talked about going live via satellite uplink, figured there were some technical problems. So they took us out to the Tonight Show in front of 20 million people. We got in front of Tom Jones. We got 20 minutes. We uh, They played it on the best of Carson two years later to talk about this fun little promotion from Cooper, Iowa. And... Uh, that weekend, we had uh, 12 to 15,000 people show up in a town of 50, and ABC, NBC, CBS, Good Morning America, the Today Show all showed up, and lo and behold, the, the whole deal. But that, that's not the moral of the story. Because I failed 43 of the 44 times, I learned about satellite uplinks, and that's what I took back to the cable company and did our first HBO free preview to all of our systems so that everybody could see it in one weekend, and we sold $15 million dollars worth of HBO that weekend. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. one little tidbit. People always ask, does Ed really drink? Was he drinking on the set? And I'll guarantee you, I smelt whiskey in his cup when we were doing the show. <laughs> so it's probably easier for the conversations for the second or third guests. <laughs> That's right.
We also, uh, uh, it's out on YouTube, just Terry Rich, uh, Johnny Carson show. Uh, you can see the whole deal. It was really hokey. It was really old, but I'll tell you what, it helped, you know, that little town and it taught me that it's better to have tried and failed than to succeed at doing nothing, which is what sounds like government officials try to do succeed at doing nothing. Talking about your public relations background and history, right? When people talk about public relations, I think the first thing you think about is either B2B, business to consumer or business to business, right? And that's an outgoing personality the way I perceive it. And you seem like you're a very outgoing personality. Has that been the norm throughout your life that you've been outgoing? Or is that something that was learned going forward? Or I, I think that's back to the rural community. Everybody knew everybody. Everybody talked. My dad loved to, you know, when it rained, we would go into the grain elevator and everybody be telling stories. And that's probably where I started picking that up. And as I got into public speaking and and a little bit of politics in my early days. That was back in the Vietnam War demonstrations and all that sort of stuff. Uh, I really liked being in front of people and and talking to people uh, when it was all said and done. So uh, I think that's probably from an early age uh, encouragement that uh, being able to to encourage. When I tell my dad, I'd call back and say, hey, dad, this just happened, you know, whether it's the Carson Shore or whatever, he'd always say, what, what, what? Tell, tell me that again. And I always thought he was hard of hearing. He just wanted to hear it again and give me praise for what it was. And that was the reward that I enjoyed. And I try to give to others as we do that. Uh, bank president, I'm on a board bank, uh, a bank board. And he writes three thank yous or he looks, you know, as he sees people's names, he, he writes, good job every day, writes it out in a, in a letter and sends it out. And I got a couple of those. And so I've been trying to do that every time I can, especially with employees when you're the CEO of just saying thanks. Recognition is definitely as much, if not more, what they are looking for as, as the money, as a small increase, which happens and you're excited and then it's over. What do you think most, um, I mean, CEOs, entrepreneurs, you talk to a lot of people and you're doing a lot of press out there. What do you think is the biggest mistake or one of the mistakes that a lot of like CEOs or entrepreneurs make? Um, I see this and, and I talk to a lot of uh, women's groups too, is that when people get into a position and, and they don't know whether they can handle it, um, they're a little too rigid. You know, it's this way or the highway, period. And anytime I've led, I led a couple of two-star generals that worked for me or, or police, uh, same way, because they make a decision, that's it, and there's no going back. I think sometimes being able to take a step back and say, tell me your reasoning there. Here's my thoughts is important. I, I'll tell you, I don't know a single CEO, you know, they all put the pants on the same way or dresses on the same way. And when they get out of the car, when I got out of the car, all of the big companies that I work for, and I looked up and I thought, holy crap, I'm in charge of this. You know, I'm in, but when you open the door, the other thing that is important is confidence. If you go in with confidence and you work with your folks and you get input from everybody and you get everybody on the same deal, things that you probably think may or may not work that scare you in growing a company or trying that new thing uh, are successful because you've led the group to know that it can be done and they've got the experience and the expertise to get it done. So basically, even though you might have imposter syndrome, uncertainty is basically show that confidence to the people that are behind you. You show the confidence without with to, without being afraid to say, Hey, let's talk back through this again. 
you you have a different side let's let's discuss that a little bit so that so that you can come back i mean never be afraid to say you made the wrong decision you know this eddie tipton deal where we saw the largest lottery fraud in u.s history uh, i challenged and and felt in the three or four or five years it took to get the guy in prison that are we making the wrong decision it just didn't feel right it didn't and all of my counterparts are saying why are you doing that you're gambling with our money in our states because you're going to give us a bad reputation and if you're wrong people will quit playing and we kept saying it feels wrong it has to, you know if it, it doesn't feel right we're, we're going to make sure the games are fair and honest and that's the story we told but uh, that those were really really tough day in day out decisions what's the difference between um confidence and cockiness uh i can look you in the eye and tell you you know th this is really what i believe um but by god this is the way we have to do it i, I think it's it's uh you know i think part of that's just the sincerity of of the confidence mm. Fair enough. Okay. Yeah. No, I was, yeah, curious about that. Cause it's, uh, I mean, I love that. I mean, that perspective that, I mean, there's a lot of CEOs, a lot of big time um, business owners that are kind of in shock of, of where they got there. And it's, it seems like when I talk to a lot of different business owners, it's all about one step in front of the next step. And before you know it, you're going to be 10 miles down the road. Nobody is ever as planned as what, it may feel like somebody to get to their place. People say, how did that person get the job? Sometimes it's influence. They know somebody who, who, who knows somebody, but, uh, I'm, I'm in a breakfast club with some of the top fortune 500 companies, CEOs, and you get to know them as friends and each, each person, each week, somebody's assigned to give the program and they get really frank about operating the company, what scares them, what doesn't. But I guarantee you, every one of them says, if they've got kids, yeah, I'm really proud. This one's going to Harvard and blah, 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 blah. And then they'll always say, well, and, and Joey or Susie, uh, they just haven't quite found their way yet. You know, everybody has problems, whether it's financial, marriage, all of that. It's how you deal with that. I mean, uh, this first step to or failure is the first step to success. Heck, I learned that in, in my first job there at the cable company when I was on camera and I thought I, I, look good at five o'clock. I didn't have the five o'clock shadow. So I wrote Schick, sent him a letter, said, Hey, I'd love to do a national TV commercial for you. And, uh, I sent it off knowing that in two weeks I'd get a letter back and I'd be in New York two weeks to the day. I got that letter. And that letter said, dear Mr. Rich, expressing your complete satisfaction with your track two razor. We appreciate your letter, but you wrote the wrong company. Gillette makes that yet during those two weeks, I got the confidence and I got a new goal in my life and that I was thinking about what would it be like to be on national television, to do network or the national cable networks, just like you might, if you're playing Powerball or mega millions and thinking, what would I, what would happen if I won this? What would I do? And that gave me the confidence to decide that's going to be one of my goals. And I made that goal on every network and cable television over the life, all because it took the chance. So failure is the first step to success. I love that. Now, if you could go, back and talk to your younger self that person that you know was outgoing everything like that and joined that company what advice would you give that person uh continue to raise your hand remember i talked about yeah. don't ever be the one that do the things that no one else wants to do that'll garner you a long you go a long ways in a company and the second is try to figure out how to relax uh you're you've seen any in real estate's an a-type personality man 
what are we doing now? I'm always thinking, I'm always looking at my emails. I'm always moving them. I never really have figured out yet how to truly relax once in a while I can. Uh, but you know, if I'm on a beach, I might have a couple hours of bliss, but I wish that I could have learned more yoga, more meditation, more something earlier in life to appreciate life a little more because everything I have now and continue to do is how do I accomplish a little higher this next step that I, that I want to take even in retirement and looking for what might happen. It's kind of like going to, going to the gym. If I made it in 12 minutes, can I make it in 1130 today? Or what could I do in, in conversations like this to improve it the next time? That's the things I'm looking for. And I wish once in a while I could just sit back and say, what, what a glorious, uh, and I haven't had a glorious life. How do I, why can't I, why can't I enjoy this or relax more? The, the one thing that's helped me a lot over the years is if it's not in your calendar, it doesn't exist. Even your rest time, your play time, your enjoyment time, put that in your calendar. That's, that's, a, that's a great point. Damon John with the Shark Tank, uh, I did an event with him a couple weeks ago. He writes down the six things, his six goals for tomorrow before he goes to bed and then relooks at it and revises them the morning when he wakes up. And all six goals, the only, the only thing that is the criteria for that is they all have to be something he's going to do for himself, not for oh, somebody wow. else. Because as you are and I am, we're, we're stretched. Everybody wants a piece of us every day. So what are the things we could do for ourselves that make us happy? Even with no money, there are... You know, there are things that would do that to just, just nothing else to have a smile and do things like that's why I do these, these podcasts. No, and I appreciate you having that. That's such a powerful idea to, to have the thoughts before you go to sleep because sleep, I mean, wasn't it Thomas Edison, right? That would, would write down his notes, have a, a bell connected to his finger, fall asleep and then fall asleep, wake up, write his nose and then do it again. Something like that. Something something crazy, but the power of sleep is is really out there. You can, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's so we're talking. You mentioned writing everything down. Writing everything down when you have ideas is really important to be able to go down and visit those. I I liken it when you go out to to Napa Valley. Uh, you know the people in vineyards they don't go out back and pick out their own grapes. They go across the entire valley and try to find the grapes this year that'll give them the award winning winning wine. And when you're in a company and you're trying to get ideas from your employees, think of a bushel basket. You want to fill that with at least a hundred ideas, take 10 to 15 minutes and no judgment. Everybody gives every idea they can, whether it's the accountant, everybody. And if everybody around the table looks like you, they all have the same look, all bald, all old, all gray hair. You're not going to get the best idea. You need to diversify as much as you can to get all the ideas, then walk away from it. That's kind of daring to dream. Then you dare to act by coming back and having the entire group prioritize so the accountant can say that's cost too much or the lawyer can say that's going to cost us a lawsuit but when you're done the top five priorities will be a group decision and now all of a sudden you've got the entire team going your direction on making your company more successful and, and it probably feels great when you as an employee to know that you had a say in your company absolutely and that's part of the part of yeah, just like anybody, it's part of the reward, just saying the thank yous and that sort of thing. But it's fun from a CEO perspective to have employees come back and say, I really enjoyed working for you. Wasn't that a fun company to work, work in? I mean, we didn't we have a lot of fun? And most people don't have that opportunity when they leave or feel that way when they leave. If, if people are listening, Terry, and they just want to you know, follow your journey. I mean, the journey to another book, the journey to whatever it might be, what's the best way of them um, 
being firsthand and kind of understanding what you're going to do next? Uh, TerrySpeaks.com. Just think the guy's a speaker in T-E-R-O-I, TerrySpeaks.com. Yeah, and uh, we, I think, have at least one or two documentaries that are coming out of the books and the and the experiences that I've had that we're going to uh, hopefully have released the end of this year, early next, just out of the blue. Been something brand new I've never done at the, at the age. So we'll see how it all goes. Perfect. Well, thank you, Terry, for being on here. Thank you for everyone listening. Hopefully you got some some great tidbits. I mean, it's it's a journey and we we got really the spark notes of it. I bet we could probably sit here for hours and hours hearing the different stories about the what happened there, what happened there. But hopefully you at least got a little piece of it. And if you want to hear more about Terry and, and dive deeper into some of these stories, I mean, take a look at his books. I mean, uh, The 80 Billion Gamble and Dare to Dream, Dare to Act. Thank you again, Terry, for, for being on The Road to Growth. Sounds good. The next time we're together, I'll give you $2 million ideas that I still have to put together and how we sold poop at the uh, at the zoo to make money and help it cash flow. Oh, see? Like the, oh, see, you can tell that Terry is a marketer. A man tease. Of, you got to have a tease. Always, always leave that nugget to want more. I appreciate that, Terry. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Road to Growth, Success of an Entrepreneur. Please like, subscribe, and stay connected. Visit www.TheEnriquezGroup.com. Yeah, I created a website. Hope to see you again next week. The Enriquez Group, signing off.